The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I am so excited to have Elizabeth King with us. She is a certified fertility health coach, master certified ICF life coach, a birth and bereavement doula, and a new parent educator. Since 2008, so ancient, her mission has been to help all people of all backgrounds conceive a healthy baby and carry to term. She supports clients through natural fertility, infertility, IVF, miscarriage, miscarriage loss, early pregnancy, PTSD, uh, and new parent support. Her practice is based in Irvine, California, but she serves clients worldwide remotely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I don't very often get to talk about fertility, uh, so I'm really excited to dive deep today. Yeah. So um, first of all, how did you get started in this whole birth? I say ancient because 2008, you've been doing this for a while. <laughs> I know. It's, it is funny to think about for me, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but then yeah, when I do the too. math on it, I'm like, it actually is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> so I, I got into fertility based on, well, initially way back when I always kind of say there's two parts to it. One is when I was 19, my sister was diagnosed with a lung cancer cell in her cervix. And it was extremely rare. In fact, still nobody on this planet is survived from it other than her. Um, wow. so she was 26 at the time and had to do a radical hysterectomy was given four months to live and the whole thing. Um, so that was my first initial experience of somebody who had that taken away from them. Right. So she did not have an option for having a baby at that point. My first initial thought at 19 was even, I'll have a baby for you. I did not know what that meant. Um, what the details of that were, but once we dug into that, it was basically until you have your own child. And this is 26 years ago now, until you had your own child, you would not be able to surrogate for somebody else at that point. Long story short, that did not happen because of life, other things happening. Um, but that was my first experience with fertility of like, oh, okay, this is a thing. My second was, in my early twenties, I was working with uh, three women who were having struggles with fertility and they had kind of said in your ear, like, make sure this doesn't happen for you when you get older. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Not really thinking too much of it. And then at age 30, I got divorced and I went to go see a fertility doctor to freeze my eggs with remembering those stories from those women. And he had said, you're too young. Come back later if you're still single. So I went back at 36 and froze my eggs on my own and did my first round of what is called IVF. Um, so at that point I had 36, I'm sorry, I was 36 years old. I had 11 eggs frozen and I kind of chalked it up to that's my, you know, insurance policy, so yeah. to speak. And I also have my 401k and I just felt like that was what I needed to do to make sure that I, that is really you know, cool. being a very responsible adult. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's responsibility on steroids. It's awesome. Like making sure you've got your 401k and your genetics sealed. <laughs> got it. I you love know. it. <laughs> so, um, 
at that time, it really was not spoken of at all, as far as it being a thing. And um, that was the first time that I really was able to understand, you know, it's no guarantee. Uh, Even if you have these eggs, that doesn't mean much. And in fact, the reason that he had said to me no at 30 was because you're more likely to have success with frozen embryos versus the thawing of frozen eggs. So I didn't know that at the time and, and technology had changed drastically in the thawing process from when I did it at 36. I'm sorry. When I went in at 30 from when I actually did it at 36. Oh, oh, okay. I just learned something big. There's a difference between freezing eggs and freezing embryos. Yes. Embryos are more, okay. Learning so much. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. So now when I speak to clients that are in the same situation, they're building their career, they're still single. The pandemic has really, you know, affected things in a lot of ways and, and meeting people for women in their thirties that are business owners or entrepreneurs and, or just climbing the corporate ladder for that matter. Um, I, my take on it is let's say you did get 11 eggs retrieved. My opinion only would be to take your half of that. So let's just say five, five of them freeze those and fertilize the other six. So that way later down the line, if you are still single, because I have many, many solo moms, so they're choosing to go about this path on their own. They have their 36 year old eggs instead of their 42, 47, 48 year old eggs when they're trying to do IVF for the first time. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the start of everything. And then once I met my husband, um, I was just turning 40 and I had been diagnosed with fibroids, went back to that fertility doctor and said, can you just check this? My OB said that there's not a problem, but I feel like there is something's just off. Um, and he said, even though they're small, which is why they told me it wasn't a problem where the location is, Mm -hmm. is a problem. So I would not have been able to implant an embryo based on where the locations of these fibroids were. So I had that surgery by a gynecological oncologist And the reason that I point that out to people as well is you don't want, and no offense to OBs, but you really want to go to a specialist that has the prime equipment to do a surgery. If you're touching your ovaries, if you're touching your uterus, any of those things, because if you get any sort of scar tissue happening in there, you're going to have more issues trying to conceive. So Yep. I, amen. I mean, you think about the most delicate and the most powerful system in our body why would you trust that to a, a generalist? You want to definitely go to a specialist. Yeah. And, so. and I mean, I get it. OBs do these types of surgeries every day. So I'm not saying I'm not putting them well, down in no, any way, no, but no, no, usually... no way, but, but I mean, yeah, a, a hysterectomy or something to stop life and death. Yes. OB. But if you're trying to like balance that delicate fertility, that's not what yeah. they're trained in. So correct. You know. Yes. So through that process, my first baby and losses is really when I started to focus um, 100%, I will say, on fertility and realizing the void of the support that is lacking in that whole arena. Granted, there's many, many fertility coaches. Most people don't really even know what that means, but having been in that chair of going to the doctor every other day to see what's happening with your ovaries and the follicles and getting your blood work done. And where's your progesterone and estrogen and all these things. It's a roller coaster. And, and then going into the PTSD of 
having a pregnancy post loss and trying to find the joy in that pregnancy when you are terrified of, you know, yeah. going every time you go to the doctor that unfortunately it may be something you don't want to see. So that's how it started. Wow. Okay. So what are some of the, I mean, you've just, I've just learned so much already, but what are some of the most irritating fertility myths that you hear that you just want to squash right out the gate? One is just relax, right? Like yeah, yeah. once you relax, you'll get pregnant. And when you're in <sighs> that situation, you want to punch someone in the face and be yes. like, you know, whatever. Um, and that's part of what I teach with my coaching is that means something different for everybody. And I remember thinking for myself when people would say that in other ways, you know, surrender to this or relax to that or whatever, like, tell me how to do that. Like I'm a very black and white person. Give me the tools on how to do that. And I will do that. Well, I'm not so, even a black and white person and the fertility journey still messed with my head. So yeah, it does. And it's hard not to. So when you're taking test after test, you know, usually it's like, you're peeing on the sticks for the ovulation and then you're peeing on the sticks to see if you're pregnant. So it's like this cycle of yep. whatever it may be. And, and unfortunately, when you get that negative test, you just like your heart sinks, your stomach, you feel like you got kicked in the stomach. And we really want to try to eliminate that downtime essentially. So yes, it's disappointing. Yes. It's like so difficult to get yourself back up again and stay positive for the next round or the next month, whatever it is that you're doing, but really knowing the tools and how you operate. And that may be different. Well, it is different for everybody, but even for yourself, I was talking to a client this morning, what was working for her for the last three months isn't working for her now because she's a different person. She's evolved. So now it's going to see, okay, what are the new tools that are going to help you to get through your triggering points or when you start to feel like you're on a spiral. So it's really about catching somebody so that they don't go down that negative spiral to help them figure out, okay, I'm, it's not about just relaxing. I know the tools in order to get my body to be calm. And the reason yeah. that that is, is because your, your stress hormones, your cortisol levels, your adrenals are all intertwined into your reproductive system. So those stress hormones go to your brain that goes to your ovaries that signals, you know, to release the egg and the follicles and everything. So it's all intertwined. And that is the, really the reason that it is, well, actually there's studies that say you're 55% more likely to conceive if you're doing the mental work alongside trying to conceive, not one, five, 55%. Yeah. So, that's big. They is big. And that's why for, for my particular type of coaching, we really focus on all the things. And the majority of that though, is the mental state. So is it something going on at work? You know, oftentimes it's not even related to your fertility, but getting those negative tests or going through the fertility process causes more stress on whatever yeah. else you already have going on. When you think, I mean, if you're in a stressful situation, your body knows that that's not the time to try and start a pregnancy. So right. there is a tie to stress and not being able to conceive. So relax is actually true, but you just want to punch that person in the face. So don't yeah. say that. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. And then also just to, just to clarify, you're um, a fertility coach and not a fertility doctor. Correct. So you're focusing on the mindset because you're saying if, if somebody has a, uh, is working on the stress 
and and the, that PTSD. And I love how you said it can change every three months. It can change every three days. Every cycle is different, yeah. right? And so 100%. you're working with the the mindset. And um, okay, so this brings me up to my next question. Um, okay, so you're working with the mindset, but you don't actually do the IVF procedure. No. So we yeah. work with we kind of hold their hand as they walk out of the doctor's office, so to Got speak. Got it. All right. So then what are some of the things that you can control versus some of the things you can't control on the coaching and the, the mom side? Yeah. And that, that's a big thing when you're trying, when you're going through fertility, there's so much that's out of your control that we really do focus. Our kind of motto is control the controllables. And that gives people a lot of peace and calm when they're going through it. So some of those things are having a plan. What does the plan look like for you? Is it a calendar plan? Is it, you know, we're going to try six months naturally. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to go to IUI or whatever it may be. Or is it, I'm going to do two rounds of IUI. And if that doesn't work, we're going to go to plan B, which is X, Y, Z. So having a plan in whatever way that you feel good about is so critical because you're able to put some control in a place where you feel like you don't have any. So, you know, okay, once I hit this date or I hit this, you know, round or whatever it may be, you could pivot to the next thing and keep in mind, you're allowed to change that at any point. So let's say you put a, something on the calendar. This happens all the time to my clients. I'm going to wait till October 1st, and then I'm going to go see the doctor. Sometimes you get to September 1st and you're like, I can't take it anymore. I need to get in now. Like, I, I just don't want to wait anymore. Or you know mm -hmm. what? It's, it's not that bad. I feel like I can handle this a little bit longer. So having that plan in place is so critical. Also having the space for you to really honor the fact that the supplements and the lifestyle do make a difference in what you're doing to try to conceive. So we know that now people years ago, like my mom would say, I got pregnant so easy. You know, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't take anything and whatever. And I'm saying we, we know better so we can do better. Right. So yeah. Can I just soapbox on that for a minute? Yes. Like, I'll, yeah. Our moms and our grandmas just say, well, I got, you know, I got pregnant, you know, when I washed my underwear with grandpa, that kind of thing. Yeah. Actually they wouldn't admit it. Not that generation, but, um, but, but their nutrition was different. Their, their level of toxins were different. And so you hear these crazy stories of like people getting pregnant during, you know, wars and famines. And you think, how could they do it? And I have lovely food and I can't get pregnant, but it's like so many other environmental things that they didn't have to deal with. Right. A hundred percent. And we don't even realize them because it's such a, so integrated in our day to day. And most of us do work as we're going along, you know, with our first initial pregnancies and secondary infertility for that matter. And so we have different situations than that generation. Most women then didn't really work. It was a very traditional situation for most yeah. people. What's um, secondary infertility? You mentioned that I've heard that said before. Yeah. Secondary infertility is when you're able to get pregnant naturally on the first try. And then when you go for your second and you struggle with that. And oh, so, got it. yeah, uh, that's, what's considered second infertility. So that is definitely a thing. I always say to people, just because you have one baby doesn't discount you wanting for another, you are allowed to have that yearning for a family more than one because they feel this guilt of like, well, I, sh I should just be grateful because I have one. Of course you're grateful you have your yeah. one, but that doesn't mean you don't want or have the oh, right to that. want more than one. So, um, and things shift. You can have scar tissue again from delivery that could be preventing you from conceiving. Mm -hmm. You can have 
you know, an underlying trauma from the birth that can be preventing you from that. You can be exhausted from having your first baby. Um, your adrenals can be shot from, from that. So there's a lot of different reasons that can be causing secondary infertility, but you can certainly work through most of those. Got it. So, um, what are, what is the gamut? What's the spectrum of help? You can, fertility can be, you know, from the positions for conception all the way up to IVF, right? So kind of go the spectrum. I don't think people, because when they say fertility, people think test two babies or, or, you know, IVF, but that's not actually all the options. So kind of, can you just talk about the whole spectrum of help? Yeah. So we are in a time right now, which is really unbelievable that it blows my mind literally every day that we have the technology that we have, that people are able to have babies in this way. Like, it's so cool when you, you mentioned so IVF, cool. but <laughs> yeah, but starting, you know, my ideal client would be somebody who's not yet tried and they're, they know they're going to try in six months. So we get them on their lifestyle track of knowing what it is in their environment that maybe, you know, being a hormonal disruptor, um, we really tailor their supplements because you don't want to be taking supplements that are going to be causing you other issues. So if you just Google fertility supplements, not all of those are created equal for everybody, because Mm. if you have a slightly higher testosterone, you don't want to be taking other things that are going to cause that to be higher because then you won't get pregnant. If, and I can go on and on. So you really Mm. want to have somebody help you to tailor which supplements are good for you. Your eggs are able to kind of regenerate every 120 to 150 days. So it's really important that you are taking things that can help for that at any age. I say like, of course, you know, we're born with our eggs as women. So as my doctor always said, your 30 year old eggs are your 30 year old eggs, your 40 year old eggs are your 40 year old eggs. Yes. I understand that. However, we are able to help those eggs as well. They're made of cells. We can take supplements that help that cellular growth. What is the development of the the ovum, right? That, that your current, your current nutritional state is going to affect. Correct. You've got your little DNA, little, little eggs from when you were born, but it's how they develop. Exactly. Okay. So it, So we want to make sure that you have that kind of runway, so to speak, to affect that change. So again, the 120 to 150 days prior to you trying to conceive. So some people you may hear, like I did three rounds of IVF back to back. You may be in that same egg wave cycle. Mm. And so you, I always say, can you push it out and wait? So let's say you did two and you didn't get anything retrieved. That was good. Push it out for you know, three to four to five months, if you can do all that you can to improve that and oh, then do another retrieval. I've never heard see. that. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. And then see how it goes. I mean, granted, if we will, that's the thing with egg retrievals and stuff. You don't really ever know what's the game changer, but they do know that we have the ability to affect change. So take those certain supplements, CoQ10, vitamin C, vitamin D3, you know, things that we know that can affect the cellular growth of this, of the egg, um, while doing all the things that you feel good about. So working out regularly, but not too heavy. So when you're trying to conceive another big myth is I need to like get in shape and lose 15 pounds or whatever, you actually don't want to shift the body composition too much Mm. because your hormones and your metabolism are based on 
where it's at right now. So if you do a, a big shift of that, let's say 15 to 25 pounds, then your body has to recalibrate in that your whole system recalibrates, meaning yep. your, your, um, well, you don't want your body well. to think that you're in famine or that you're, you know, running from a saber tooth tiger and now would not be a good time to conceive. Right. So yeah. You want to be gentle with your systems, right? Right, right. But still and let it doing... know it's healthy, you know, we're walking every day, whatever. Absolutely. Right? I always say like, if you feel, if you're working out and you like really feel like the soreness and whatever, which I love that feeling, but when you're trying to conceive, that means your energy like is literally going to repair those muscles every day to say like, okay, something's mm -hmm. torn there. I need to go repair it. That's taking a lot of energy away from your visceral system, which we need it to all be there, right? So we want to really focus on light, gentle exercises that are also good for your mind. So think, you know, Pilates, yoga, walking, easier things in that regard. Now, some people, you know, they do CrossFit already for a living and they can be lifting crazy amounts of weights and their body doesn't feel that recovery moment. So that's a different story. That's, that's fine. But um, I would continue with a light, sort of working out. So we will look at all of those things. And then again, as I mentioned before, what's happening in your life? Is there, you know, is your sister-in-law getting pregnant three times a year and you're triggered all the time by this happening? Um, are there people at work? Are you stressed at work? What's happening in with your relationship? Do you want to have a baby more than your partner does? Like, are there other things that we need to uncover that may be causing you some stress that you know, you're too much in it that you're not able to see the forest from the trees. And mm -hmm. so we work through some things around that. And again, give you some tools to say, okay, I'm getting triggered by this. So I need to go do that. You and you get I'm into a habit. I'm seeing the value of the coaching more than I ever saw before. I actually, until this, I didn't really see a difference between a fertility coach and a fertility doctor, but now I'm seeing mm. like, a fertility coach is going to be your friend, the whole process, right. And talk you through all these options. Cause a fertility doctor is going to tell you, you know, option one, two, three, four, five, yeah. ABCD, but, but not really with a lot of emotion and not, they don't have time to sit with you as you talk through these things. And the fertility journey is maddening sometimes, um, yeah. especially infertility is always, is it never not maddening? Right. I know. And to have a coach there to talk like, just listening to you talk, I feel all these, like my ovaries are just loving <laughs> every moment of this, but to have a coach by your side to go like walk you through, what did these options mean like for you and how to achieve, you know, what's most important to you? I love it. Yeah. Thanks for noticing that. So, I mean, I remember my own fertility doctor, uh, of course, because I spent so much time <laughs> with him, but, um, in fact, I, I ended up seeing four throughout my whole process, but one in particular, and they're not trained to, you know, talk to you on a right. level of being your friend, so to speak, right They're, They want to give you the facts. They want to tell you what the odds are. And then they kind of send you on your way. They're not trained in like, are you okay with this? How are you feeling about this? Um, you know, does that trigger you? And even with the losses, unfortunately, and I trained some mm -hmm. clinics right now because the nurses and doctors they don't know really how to handle when you're having a miscarriage and you are in shock and they're like, it's not your fault. You know, like that's really all they can tell you. And then you're either again, like get me out of here or stop looking for the heartbeat. I know there's not one. Let's just get on with this and go, but they don't know how to, they don't know how to do that. Right. So mm -hmm. it's so nice knowing 
that, okay, all I need to do is finish my appointment with him or her. And then I can call my coach and we can talk through the options that they just talked about. It's amazing. Um, Mind blown. Another part of that is I think what I've seen the most with my clients is just having them feel more empowered going into their appointments. They're more educated about what to ask. They know what feels good to them, what doesn't feel good to them. If somebody says we're going to do the same protocol again, they're like, no, you know, I want to change this up. I think I was overstimulated last time or whatever it may be. So Mm. they just feel more in control again of their situation. And they tend to partner more with their doctor when they're working with a coach. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because then they can take what the doctor says and process it between appointments and come back as part of the team and not just an emotional, cause oh man, the emotions are the, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you've got the supplements and just the gentle things you can do to increase fertility. And then like, what's the next step of intervention? So I think it depends. Everybody's at their own pace as far as intervention goes. So, you know, you talk to somebody who's 25 and they're basically told you wait a year of trying and then go to see a doctor. If you're over 35, it's six months. If you're 28 years old and you've been trying for 10 months, that's still pretty defeating, right? So Mm -hmm. I think working with a coach in order to say, to just eliminate different things so you can know, okay, am I truly ovulating? It's crazy how many people I talk to that don't really know how to track their ovulation. Are they having cervical mucus? Are these just the basic things of where to begin? And really teaching people those basic things first in order to say, okay, what's the next step of intervention and what are you comfortable with? And again, I will say this because it happens all the time. What you think you're comfortable with may change and that's okay. So I have a Mm. lot of people that are like, we decided we're never going to do IVF. We just don't want to like, don't go down that road and whatever. But then once they're faced with they've done everything else that they can do. Maybe they've done the IUIs, they've done timed intercourse, they've done the Clomid or letrozole cycles, and it's still not happening. And then they say, okay, we do actually want to go to do IVFs. So there's IVF, there's egg donation, sperm donation, there's embryo adoption as well, which is a really great um, option if you still feel that you really want to be carrying a baby. Um, there's surrogacy. So if there's something going on that you're not able to carry, uh, which I think is again, such an amazing world we live in that that's an option Mm -hmm. for people to do. And then of course adoption. So I always say to people that your path to being a parent may not look like you thought it would look, but at the end of the day, you can, and you will be a parent. We just need to figure out the right way for you to get there. And having someone help you navigate that process and get there Mm. faster and hopefully cheaper because you're able to, you know, get a streamlined way to get on the other side is really helpful. And it doesn't, you eliminate a lot of the question marks and the stress through going through the process alone. I I hate how the fertility journey so often is like earmarked by dollar signs, like how much each step is going to cost. And when it's just such an emotional and like a, just, just a, what is it? Primal desire, um, need. It just feels like cheapened if you put a dollar sign to it, Yeah, you're saying that, you know, with coaching, you can actually just save money, but also just get back to the, the crux of it. Like what, what journey is right for you, right? What is your parental journey? How do you become a parent? Because for some, like, 
an adoption scene, they would bring adoption in earlier than they would bring an IVF, right? And some 100%. People, IVF yeah. comes first and how many rounds or what about surrogacy versus adoption, right? And you're just, basically, you're just saying it's not a one, like it's not a journey with stops along the road. It's, these are all your options, all your beautiful options, what works for you. Yeah. And having somebody help to explain what those options are is helpful too. Like I have one woman, she's an executive at Visa and she's 47 doing her, she's just started IVF. She's on her second round now, but she's like, if I would have known how easy it was, I would have done this two, three years ago. But I had this in my head that it was going to be so difficult that I was so scared. And I think literally having somebody to walk you through, this is what happens first. This is what happens second. These are the potential situations of outcomes. And again, it's different than hearing it in a doctor's office when they're just like rattling it off because, you know, you kind of feel under stress and under pressure that they're going to like push you out the door so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, but to have someone really talk you through it, even before you go down that road, what's the difference between IUI and IVF? Some people don't realize that even though you do do IUI, which some people refer to it as the turkey baster, you still need to do injections and stimulation of drugs. Some people, you know, most people mm. think it's just, you know, you just have the turkey baster that day and, and you're done. That's, that isn't how it goes. So um, having someone to walk you through the different processes. And if you are open to, again, egg donation, embryo adoption, talking to an attorney, those sorts of things, and being able to say, here's some people that you can con connect with, see if they resonate with you, if that's a good fit for you to get more information. There's um, amazing programs that, to your point of being very tra transparent about the costs for surrogacy, the Mm -hmm. This is how much that goes to the surrogate. This is how much that goes to the attorney. This is how much that goes to the, the egg donor. If it's different than the surrogate, having all that information, instead of Googling it yourself and trying to figure it out is really brings a lot of peace of mind and calm in a yeah. situation that you feel kind of like everything is out of your control. Yeah. I mean, there are so many pieces. I'm, there are so many pieces to this and having to do it alone. I, I, I build houses and I can't imagine having emotion wrapped around building a house as deeply as having a baby because there's the plumbing and the, the tile and the, all these things that need to be coordinated. And it's just overwhelming. I've done it many times. So I, I know the steps, but to just start that and just say, Hey, your whole happiness depends on you being able to build this house and good luck. Yeah. You have no training. That's overwhelming. And then you, you know, that's basically what the fertility journey is for a lot of people. Yeah. Like I said, down to ovulation, you know, we were, <laughs> we were not taught that in school. You know? I didn't so. learn until very, very much into my motherhood career. What you know, my, my cycle was, and I was like, did you know you have these hormones that up and down? <laughs> now I know why I'm hungry two days before my period. It's just amazing. Yeah. So um, how do you help someone overcome the trauma of failure or loss? Because you don't start this fertility journey unless you've experienced loss, really. Yeah. I mean, I- Infertility journey, I guess. Fertility journey. If you get pregnant, honeymoon night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, even that. I mean, some people can get pregnant really easy, but they can't carry it. Right? Yeah, that's so true. Mm -hmm. There's There's different aspects to it. And when you have that loss and disappointment, it's- and devastation. It's to your point of building a house. I always say having the baby is not like building a house or getting a divorce or any of these things that we hear of regularly that we know are stressors in life. 
um, no one talks about the one in eight people that are suffering from infertility and how stressful that is and how long they've been going through it or what may be causing that. So I think that having the situation where you have someone to kind of help you through that and, and navigate again, where, where you need to go and what's right for you is invaluable because you're not, people don't talk about it, right? Yeah, they don't. They don't even know how to talk about it. Even my friends, like as we talk, my friends are super birthy. How do you talk about one person's loss? You know, like one person's loss at six weeks may be absolutely devastating while another person's loss at 18 weeks, they seem to bounce right back and you just can't mm -hmm. even get in each other's heads. You can't even understand. And, and so there's not like a, a common ground. It's just so confusing and honestly feels very alone, right? That's the number one word I would say that people say all the time. And when you're dealing with somebody who's had the loss, whether that's an embryo loss, or like you said, a, a either early miscarriage loss or late term loss, mm -hmm. helping them through that for me personally, based on my own experiences in life in general and, and my fertility or miscarriage losses and stuff. It's really about helping being there for them whenever they need it. So I always say it's different than therapy. When you see your therapist every Tuesday at two o'clock, if you're somebody looks at you wrong on Wednesday at nine o'clock and you're like in tears that day, you <laughs> yeah. need somebody then, <laughs> right? You need that person. Then you don't need them later. And people are always asking me, how do you manage being accountable, having these people accountable to you all the time. And it comes in waves, but you know, when, you know, Susie Q has just had a major loss, she's going to need extra support during that time. Or if she's, she's going through a transfer in the next week and she's, she's going to need extra support. Yeah. And that's, it's almost, I always kind of equate it to a personal trainer at the gym. You have a relationship with them, right? So you know what their life is. It's not like a therapist who some therapists let you into their life, but most of them it's, they're a little bit more, more medical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas a, a trainer, you could probably know how many kids they have or where they live or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's same with a coach, at least in my coaching business, I should say not for everybody, but for me, because I know how critical it is when you are going through those disappointments and losses, you need somebody to reach out to at that moment. Yes. We also have our weekly calls, but it's really about the critical times that you have the support that you need during those really significant milestones of your life, mm, whether that's yeah. a transfer, whether that's a, a pregnancy loss or whatever it may be. Wow. So, um, just being there for them and what, what, what advice would you give them? Okay. So if you can't afford a coach or there's not a coach in your area, how can you help your friends mm -hmm. fill that role? Like, what can you tell your friends to say to you or do to you or be to be for you that will help in that recovery? First of all, I would say just normalizing the conversation in day-to-day -day life to start with, right? So having the conversations before somebody has the loss or before they know that they're going through fertility issues so that when they do have, when it does happen, or hopefully they won't have that happen, but if they know their sister, something happened to their friend or their sister or their cousin, you can know that, okay, this is a safe place. 
even though my friends all have their own kids and they're fine and whatever, she gets it. She's opened that conversation or that door for me before. She's a safe place for me to go to talk to Mm -hmm. because people think, oh, she has her three kids. She's not open to what I have to say about my experience every month or what just happened to me with my pregnancy. And that could not be further from the truth. People want to help other people. People want to be there to support other women, especially. So opening that conversation, I think what's critical sometimes is it can be a very tiptoeing situation depending Mm -hmm. on that person, right? Sometimes you can say something wrong and they get really offended and you really didn't mean to offend them at all. For instance, well, at least you got pregnant. Somebody who just had a loss generally doesn't want to hear that, Yeah, you know, because they can't even think at that moment about that. All they're thinking of is they're grieving a death. And to your point, people grieve from it differently Mm -hmm. every day, right? So some, someone can go on very easily and some it's very, very significant. So you do, I unfortunately have to watch yourself a little bit around those people, but feel it out. Let them talk, give them the space to say, how do you, how do you feel about this? What's happening? How can I support you? Is there somebody that I can put you in touch with? I know my friend Elizabeth, she had a loss. She'll be happy to talk to you. Would you be interested in talking to her about that? Yeah. Or I struggled with this, but I know, you know, Sarah really did. Maybe she's good for you to connect to. Mm-hmm. Um, I also offer scholarships for my coaching as well as I coach other coaches to help others. Um, so ask a coach that you may resonate with if they would be open to helping you at a lower rate or for free, because most people are doing this from a heart centered place anyway, and they sincerely want to help you. So I always say, even with the doctors, if people think I can't afford the fertility doctor, you know, ask them, there's so many grants out there as well for people. So there's grants that can be had, there's cash discounts at the fertility clinics, um, really just open up about those things. But I would say again, with helping people that are in your realm, just having that conversation and not taking for granted that people are struggling because again, one in eight or couples are struggling. And 50% of that is for male fertility as well. So that's a whole Uh, nother conversation. That was my next question. But before we go into that, that question, and just to say, reiterate that every loss is different. Like Everybody, even within the same woman, one loss could be super traumatic and another loss just somehow feels okay with the universe. And mm-hmm. the next loss is super hard. And it's just like, not even is every loss the same. And then you you bring in all the other world circumstances, what your friends are saying. It, it can be, yeah, just overwhelming. So reach out to your trusted people. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and know, have the the awareness that, one in four of us have had a loss that's been reported. So it's more than that. Yeah. But most of the time people don't talk about it because they feel ashamed. They feel they're broken. They did something wrong and all yeah. of these things, which is why, shame. yeah, which is why we, it is what it is and why we're trying to open that conversation by saying the more we say me too, like the miscarriage me too movement, essentially when it happens to someone else, they're not going to feel that way. The more and more we talk about it. And yeah, you wonder how much uh, pain our grandmas just, you know, buried 
because mm-hmm. to them it's like yeah i buried you know three children children like infants stillborns right and it and they just go on with their day like hey grandma yeah i have you know there was one missing it's almost like they you don't find out about it until you're doing genealogy later or you're trying to figure out stuff and you're like wait there's a baby here and we, we didn't even <laughs> there's missing right yeah and, and just normalizing that conversation and i guess normalizing doesn't mean that we um necessarily like it doesn't drag us down or make us more miserable or depressed no. as a culture. It doesn't. It, I think it actually does the opposite, right? It just hundred percent. It brings us together and makes you feel that you're part of a bigger community and movement. I mean, it's just like with people with cancer or heart attacks or whatever, like I pray for them when somebody says, oh, my, my aunt has cancer or something like that. It's not something that uh, we're ashamed of. It's, yeah. you know, it's something that is just a normal, unfortunate day-to-day conversation, but we don't talk about, I had a miscarriage last week and I'm expected to be at work on Monday. You know, like, no, that's a death that you don't usually get an answer as to what happened. And, um, it's hard hard to get closure sometimes. Yeah, it is. Okay. So, um, you touched on this a minute ago. So what percentage of infertility is actually the woman's math and what's the men's math? (laughs) So more and more studies are coming out right now in the last 18 months, I would say, but it generally used to be, everything was kind of chalked up to the egg. Oh, the egg quality is bad. The egg must've not been good. You know, the age of the egg or whatever. And now we know that, you know, which is not, it seems so ridiculous to say that now we know, well, of course, 50% of that was (laughs) sperm as well. Um, But now they're acknowledging the fact Mm -hmm. that at least 30 to 40% of those kind of, um, uh, abnormal embryos as they call it are, is because of the sperm quality. And one of the myths around that is, is that men can have, um, healthy sperm for their whole life. You know, we've seen 60, 70, 80 year old men having children. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But at the age of 40, especially 45 is where the dip really starts to happen. Their quality of sperm declines. Um, so there are supplements that men can take as well, but really I'm, I'm, I, as a mom of three boys, now I feel like I'm much more, um, you know, tied to this, this part of the story (laughs) is that there's so much of a mental stigma around for the men as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're just starting to open this conversation about women and fertility and I'm an IVF warrior and everything, but the men really do have, you know, their ego behind it. Um, they feel like they're letting their partner down. There's a whole different Mm -hmm. dynamic around it mentally. Well, and Um, their systems are very, very delicate too. I mean, our systems are super delicate, but theirs are as well. Right. Yes. And they do have the ability faster than that 120 days to regenerate sperm. And, and there's different changes that they can do, but not every, not every man is able to, to do that. There are some very significant issues that you can have that, um, you know, just because you're stop going in the hot tub, doesn't mean you're going to get better, so to speak. So I really recommend seeing a reproductive urologist for men who, really, again, focus on that as a specialty to know. And as you're starting your fertility journey, don't wait the six months, you know, of trying to then only start to say, is it you or is it me? Like it needs to be done together because I have people that have been trying for three years that never even thought 
to have the sperm looked at and, you know, they're either very low quality or slow or whatever it may be. And that's just never going to happen unless you have some sort of help. So you'll save yourself a lot of time and energy and disappointment if you just know your baseline. And that's what I always say. When you go to see a fertility doctor, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to have IVF. You just want a specialist to look at you, see what you're starting with, right? Like are you, your- you as a, you as a couple too, if you're coming with a partner, it's a system. So still, still is this stigma is the assumption that it's the woman's fault first. Mm-hmm. 100%. When, when sometimes it's just, so if you go in and you say, I'd like you to evaluate us both at the same time, is that something like that should be encouraged or yeah. Absolutely encouraged. And most clinics I would say are pretty on board with that nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say, especially the younger doctors, they will have zero issue doing the, running those tests right away. Um, the reason again, is that how you, you can't just assume that it's just a female because of the obvious reasons. So more and more people are being open to that. I think educating the men as well to say, this is now really a thing because they're so far removed. I know from they're, all so, of this. they're so adorable, but, but also yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it could be a sweet experience as a couple to go through this journey together because knowing, I know I, this hasn't happened to me, but I'm just projecting on myself that if, if I were to go in and find out it's actually not me, it's him. There is a completely different level of shame, guilt, like that is absolved yeah. for me. And now it's just, Hey babe, let's, let's figure out how we can solve this together. And it's just so, it would be so relieving to find out that news. Right. And then for him, he'd be like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not the one. I mean, I'm so glad that you're not broken. That <laughs> I don't know. Like it just changes the dynamics, right? It really, really does. And you know, we're opening the conversation for women, but men don't have this conversation. No, they're not going to sit around at the football game. Hey, how are your swimmers? (laughs) No, unfortunately not. Um, I had somebody reach out who works with my husband to say, you know, I saw what your wife's doing on LinkedIn and I'm so glad because we just had our third child, but we had them through IVF and it was me that was a problem. And so the fact that these conversations are being had is really good because Yeah. I don't have anybody who gets that, that it's, you know, and it took me a long time to, to realize, to stand up, to say, it's not my wife. It's me that is having the issue. I'll just say really funny. I know my husband doesn't listen to my podcast. I'll just say the other day he came up to me, he says, Hey babe, do you know why the testicles are outside the man's body? Like why that is? And I'm like, yeah, cause you know, temperature and sperm. He goes, he goes, oh, yeah. How did you know that? I was like, cause you know, and, but he's like in his forties and he's just finding that. He's like, would well, you know why one is lower than the other? And I was like, wow. Yep. No, I don't know that. Why is that honey? And he was so excited to like, tell me what he, I don't know where he learned this, but here he is in his forties learning about his own anatomy and why things are the way they are. And I just thought, I thought that is so cool. You know, not that I need my little tiny boys to understand the nuance of all that. But as a procreating man, that's really cool for him. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the more that it becomes, we have to educate our own people, our own, because it isn't something that is taught in school, but it is really important to know and to understand and to, to know, so you can make decisions different. Like, you know, my kids are little, but as far as them being in hot tubs or carrying their 
put their phones in their front pockets or having their laptops on their lap. Like I know those things are not going to be allowed in our family because of what I know. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's up to us to, to be able to pass that on to them to say, again, as men, you need to come to the table with knowing your own part of the spectrum and, and how to, to have that conversation essentially. Yeah. And also another conversation for another day is how infertility, the whole fertility conversation is not just about making babies. It's about not making babies when you don't want to make babies. It's, it's still the same conversation. Who's, you know, what, how, how to just basically choose your family, how to build your family with your partner. Right. Yeah. Again, I kind of the basics of most people think that they can get pregnant every day of the week, you know, or any time that they have intercourse. And unfortunately, or fortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> but having that really detailed education for people is really helpful because it just would be a lot easier for a lot of people if they understood more of how the process yeah. works. Thank you so much. The time has flown by. I, I just really appreciate this conversation. I learned so much. Um, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out more about your coaching services and then how to get you or one of your other coaches to help them? Yes. Thanks for asking. So on elizabethking.com, there's a lot of resources that you can find as far as free downloads that can help with information of you know, from male fertility to supplements, to, um, what to ask at your first doctor's appointment. So all of those things are there as well as we can, we can meet on a free 10 minute call. As far as if you want to help someone else on their own fertility journey, and you want to be a fertility coach, there's the fertility coach Academy, and you can then turn your story. You don't have to have gone through fertility. You, maybe you're, you know, looking to make some extra money and you feel like it was really easy for you and you want to help spread the word on that, you can join us there. I also have a podcast at Pretty Little Tribe and then on Instagram at Elizabeth King underscore coaching. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and all your expertise. And you are definitely in the right spot where you should be. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.